Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Psychcast. It's been a while, and I'm so glad to be back with all of you again. Uh, in the studio today, we actually have a special guest. I uh, usually have been in here with me, but not this time. This time, we are joined by psychology major at Bryan College, Becca Ross. Say hi, Becca. Hi, Becca. <laughs> it's going to be one of those days. <laughs> Becca, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm a second year psychology student at Bryan College, and I'm just really excited about God's holistic view of his people and how we can integrate psychology and spirituality and uh, what we know about God's created world to be a part of God's uh, restorative plan and his mm -hmm. love for what is good. That's so cool. So obviously somebody who cares a lot about what she has to talk about. And we have a really interesting uh, topic today uh, to go along with it. Becca is going to bring some of her knowledge and passion and expertise on the area of creativity and the psychology of aesthetics. Do you want to dig in, give a little uh, preview of what we're going to be talking about today? I would love to. So as we have been preparing for this talk, the song that has come to my mind a lot is Yellow by Coldplay. Uh, because yellow is just a color that we uh, associate with a lot of sunshine and wildflowers and uh, happiness. And so um, I think there are a lot of different ideas about what happiness is, what its value is, and how we obtain it. So I think that art is an interesting way we can engage with happiness and well-being. And uh, one of the people that comes to my mind when I think of art um, and wellness and even mental illness is Vincent van Gogh. So I wanted to start off our conversation by sharing a quote from Alexandra Timmer. She said, Vincent van Gogh used to eat yellow paint because he thought it would get the happiness inside him. Many people thought he was mad and stupid for doing so because the paint was toxic. Never mind that it was obvious that eating paint couldn't possibly have any direct correlation to one's happiness. But I never saw that. If you were so unhappy that the maddest ideas could possibly work, like painting the walls of your internal organs yellow, then you are going to do it. It's really no different than falling in love or taking drugs. There is a greater risk of getting your heart broken or overdosing, but people still do it every day because there is always that chance that it could make things better. Everybody has their own yellow paint. And today we are going to be talking about yellow paint. So that's obviously a lot of... Uh, different concepts, but concepts that are definitely related. Concepts about art and how that affects us psychologically, um, beauty, how that affects us psychologically, and just what it means to be creative and how it affects people. So we're going to go in starting out talking about some uh, empirical studies about the psychology of aesthetics, how aesthetic appreciation, which is kind of, you know, it's at the root of art, at the root of uh, appreciating beauty, um, some empirical studies on how that affects people. And then we're going to go through talking about art therapy, uh, something you may or may not be familiar with, but how art uh, affects people with mental illness, how art, um, some of the, the specific ways that it improves people, and then talking about applications. So talking about the, the factors that go into our lives of how we can slow down, appreciate beauty, and how that has a direct correlation with our mental health. Becca, are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> then we'll jump into it. The first thing we have to go over is just the psychology of aesthetics. So for those of you who don't know, Aesthetics is the study of what's beautiful. Aesthetic appreciation is just appreciating beautiful things. Oftentimes, you hear it in the context of nature, um, the beauty that we observe in nature, whether it's going on a hike or sitting by a waterfall or looking up into the sky, watching clouds or counting the stars. 
all those things we know it's appreciating beauty it's a very aesthetic experience it's feelings based sight sound all those things but how does that affect us what does that do to our minds well people have looked into this so researchers at the university of madrid ran a study in 2018 they looked at the relationship between appreciating beauty and well-being they found that people who participated in the study who spent time on aesthetic appreciation over a three-week period reported higher levels of subjective well-being, slightly higher hope in well-being, and higher appreciation of art in general. So, really interesting stuff. A study from Stanford in 2015 showed that participants who went on a 90-minute walk through a natural environment reported lower levels of rumination and showed reduced neural activity in the area of the brain linked to risk for mental illness compared with those who walked through an urban environment. These res results suggest that accessible natural areas may be vital for mental health in our rapidly urbanizing world. What comes to mind whenever you think about this or whenever you look at these studies? The phrase that I wrote down when I was thinking about these studies was that both of these have to do with a way of walking, not whether or not you walk. We all have to walk through life, but the way that you do so does matter, and the things that you pay attention to and the things that you surround yourself with do matter. And uh, I thought it was really interesting that just surrounding yourself with beautiful things or taking the time to notice beautiful things in an intentional way um, really does engage physiologically and even on a spiritual level with things like hope. There's a lot of emphasis in the modern world on doing, on uh, task-oriented behavior. So I think a big part, especially in the second study from Stanford, where people were just walking, where people were just being in a natural environment, it's not really task-oriented, it's not really like going out and doing something purposeful, it's just going out to appreciate. And I think it's kind of a lost art, the ability to appreciate, just appreciate good things around us and that has a definite impact on our sense of well-being and our happiness. I think it also reminds us, when we look at the contrast between the urban world and the natural world, it reminds us that while things were not always supposed to be this way, and things were not originally made to be you know, broken um, and, and hurting and maybe more metallic in some of the things that we associate with an urban or modern world, um, but when we look at things uh, in nature, we remember how things um, could have been and, and we look to what could be in the future. And I think that reminds us that um, beauty can, in grace, permeate even um, the most uh, broken world. Yeah. And I think that gets into some theological concepts about, you know, you mentioned like the world being broken and even how that relates to the world being beautiful. Mm -hmm because um, a lot of people have commented on, um, for example, urban environments, is that the places we live are designed in a way that's functional, something that's purposeful, something that's very utilitarian. And of course that's good, um, that's there for a reason, but kind of the, the whole nature of aesthetics is that it isn't there for a reason, is that it's something's beautiful not because it serves us in a particular way, but there's something in and of itself that's valuable. Yeah. And we see that, you could say, we see that more in nature of things that just have beauty. I mean, there's a lot of purpose in nature. You can get into a debate about exactly what is purposeful. That's usually not what we see. That's usually not how our brains process things, is we look at a butterfly or a flower or something and we don't think, oh, look how purposeful that is. <laughs> we think, no, that's beautiful. And the fact that there's something beautiful out there influences us. 
So speaking of, of purpose in art, I think mo a lot of the time when I try to engage people about art therapy or what art means for mental health, people either think that art therapy is just for a certain kind of person or they think that it's just another nice hobby and you just need to find the hobby that helps you to engage or relax. So I want us to talk a little bit about how, heart, how art really does help to heal. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, how art therapy works and what art does to us. Okay, yeah. So of course, um, therapy, pretty broad word. So it's, it's usually what people think of first when they think of psychology. I know generally on the podcast, uh, we've, we've touched on a lot of different areas, but this is an area that a lot of people associate pretty closely with, with psychology, uh, dealing with mental illness, dealing with people who have emotional struggles, and honestly, one of the most common ways, uh, besides talk therapy, besides, you know, like going to a counselor and talking through it, is um, people who are therapists will employ art therapy. So what are some of the different ways art therapy can look? I think art therapy can look like having someone, you can either lead someone into a conversation based on the art that you ask them to create. You can give them kind of a guiding question and say, draw me a picture about this and see um, what kind of insights that gives you into maybe their subconscious or um, things like that. But art therapy can also be a, a catharsis, you know, it can be something that maybe you give a client for homework or as a way to practice mindfulness. Okay. So it can look like a lot of different things. Dig into the idea of mindfulness a little bit, because I know this comes up, the, the word mindfulness comes up on the show every now and again. What do you, what's a good understanding of what mindfulness is and how art can help us achieve it? I think the art of mindfulness has a lot to do with your pace in life and the things that you pay attention to. And I'm, I'm reminded of Dallas Willard, who talks about having an unhurried heart and how you can, you can be very busy. You can have a lot going on in your life, but you can have an unhurried heart. But in order to do so and in order to learn how to uh, have that slower pace, you have, to, uh, you have to find ways to practice, not to perform, but to, to practice slowing down and paying attention to details. And I think by painting you know, one stroke at a time, by doing something that forces you to slow down and pay attention to color and texture, that allows you to pay attention then to the texture of your own mind and the world around you and the conversations that you have as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that ties into what we were talking about on the first point with the psychology of aesthetics is that it forces that slowness is required for appreciation. You can't appreciate what's going on. You can't appreciate either beauty in the natural world and you can't appreciate you know, the creation of something beautiful unless you're slow, more methodical, more aware of everything that's going on around you. So that's a key piece whenever we're talking about aesthetics is just the ability for us to notice it. Innately, we have the ability to just walk on by it without recognizing beauty that's there. What are some of the other uh, benefits that art therapy can have for patients who do it? Something that I think is really special about engaging with art and mental health is the sensory aspect and how grounding it can be. So even up, even just on a physiological level, right? God made us souls, but he also he made us with physical bodies that mm -hmm. very much engage. And so I think that 
when you are struggling with with something mentally you have to find ways to let me think I want to think about how I want to say this it's okay Sometimes when you have a lot going on in your mind, you can feel really disconnected to your body and you need things to remind you that this is not just a concept. My world is not just depression or anxiety. My world is concrete, it is wooden, it is acrylic, it is watercolor, and we see the way that things things blend together and I think that helps us to know how to move forward when sometimes mental health is uh, so daunting and we don't we don't know where to start and um, we get so caught up in these meta ideas or these these thoughts or even memories and rumination mm-hmm. that it can be hard to you know just get out of bed and take practical steps mm-hmm. forward and so art therapy can um, help you to get back to your roots but in a way that also helps you to make yourself breakfast and engage in the world socially and to connect with the world physically. Absolutely. That's the the second time just in the show that the word ruminations has popped up. Ruminations are just recurring thoughts, thoughts that keep coming back to the same negative thing. Some people will call them automatic negative thoughts for that reason and very common in a variety of kinds of mental illness. Very common for people who don't have a kind of mental illness. Just reflexively thinking over and over again about the same negative emotion is really easy. It's almost too natural to us to keep going back to negative things. But as you pointed out, that keeps us in the realm purely of thought. You described it as being locked up or caught up inside of our own head. So that's something that um, is a unique benefit of art therapy is that it's not in your head. It's in your hands, it's in your body, it's in your eyes, it's on a page, it's on a canvas all those things that are external and having something external that you're really pouring your attention into can break yourself out of your own head. I also really love this quote from Pablo Picasso. He said that every act of creation is at first an act of destruction. And I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 5.17 that talks about um, the old man passing away and the new man coming. Mm -hmm. And I think that art when you do not feel beautiful or you do not feel like your story can move forward or you feel really trapped by your history or old patterns um, art can be a really powerful way to paint a new path forward Mm -hmm. either through painting something symbolic maybe even literally painting um, your ideal life and things that you hope for or things that represent things that you hope for or just by making something beautiful and taking the time to say that, hey, look, this can be beautiful too. Mm-hmm. Um, this maybe broken piece of, this crumpled piece of paper can be art. Um, and through making meaning in your art, um, and even through people and subjects that are not traditionally beautiful, you can, uh, you can experience wonder and you can experience hope. Yeah, definitely. That seems to verge on something else that I know you're interested in, Um, something called narrative therapy. This is kind of an intersection between um, talk therapy or counseling and art therapy, is that they can kind of accomplish some of the same ends. So can you describe for the audience a little bit of what narrative therapy is and how that relates to what you just said? Yeah, 
definitely. I actually have been thinking about that a lot today. So narrative therapy helps to empower clients to understand their stories in a way that doesn't just focus on their problems. Narrative therapy says that the problem is the problem, not the person, and it helps you to obtain uh, quote-unquote magic eyes um, on your own history and see that if, if you've been called a victim, you can call yourself a survivor. If you have experienced something bad, you can see something redemptive through it. And um, that really empowers clients who maybe have learned helplessness or something like that mm -hmm. to um, know that at every moment in their story, they have the right and the ability to take their own life into their own hands and say, I cannot change the past, but I can create a new future for my story and I can direct my story where it's going to go. I think narrative therapy can be really unifying and really... I have too much to say about narrative therapy. I should have stopped. That's okay. No, but you can <laughs> you can hear just from what Becca's talking about. You can see the intersections between what also could be said about art therapy, about bringing meaning to experiences, about illustrating what's going on in your life, trying to understand it fully, and trying to uh, take control over it. Because every time you put a paintbrush to a page or a sketch pencil to a pad, you're creating something. You're instead of being stuck in that paralysis of what am I going to make, what am I going to draw, what am I going to paint, instead of being stuck in that state, you're making something. You're moving forward and you're giving meaning to something else, which of course, you know, it works on us in a variety of levels, some of which can be demonstrated, some, some of which can be like studied through research, and some of which we just have to ponder through. And I mentioned uh, learned helplessness a minute ago, mm -hmm. and when someone has learned helplessness, or when someone has experienced learned helplessness, um, there can be a lot of fear that's paralyzing that you kind of got at that a minute ago. And I think art is also a way to build um, empowerment that says, hey, it's okay if you mess up because art is not necessarily worthwhile because it is beautiful. It is not beautiful because it is orderly or neat. It is uh, worthwhile for metaphysical reasons, for reasons that um, connect to the soul and the spirit in a way that is um, more subjective. And so when you learn that your watercolors can be blended out and uh, that happy accidents, to quote Bob Ross, <laughs> can happen, um, you learn a bit of freedom from paralyzing fears that you may have from experiences with that have um, helped you to develop learned helplessness. I can say, you know, you can wake up in the morning and it's okay if you make mistakes. It's okay if your paint is not going exactly the way you planned it to go, you know? Um, this too can, can be a different picture. It might not be what you expected or what you sat down to paint, but this day was still worthwhile and this painting was still worthwhile. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've talked about in the past, just being able to say, look, this can be beautiful too. There are all kinds of things that fall outside of our perfect picture of what we think our lives ought to look like, what we want our lives to look like. Going back to what I said about most of our life being very goal-driven, being goal-driven is very good, but there are also times in which we fall short of the goals we're pursuing. Yeah. There are plenty of times where we don't achieve 
whatever our achievement-based behavior is out there to get for us. So being able to step back and say, I'm learning from failure, being able to step back and say, I can look at things that aren't traditionally beautiful and see beauty in them is extremely therapeutic and extremely good for people to be able to wrestle through those feelings of inadequacy that we all tend to experience. I agree. I'm really thankful that life's magnificence is not reliant on my consistent perfection. That's a good way to say it. Before we move on from this, there's uh, an interesting point um, that we wanted to talk about, and it's about what a lot of people think of when they think of beauty. Because beauty, um, in my opinion, is a word that has been hijacked quite a bit um, by popular culture. So when a lot of people think of beauty, they think of stress because of a constant sense of I'm not beautiful and I need to be. People tend to limit this to a discussion on physical beauty, uh, especially surrounding women and societal pressures and the media and body image and all that. That tends to be the first thing that pops into people's heads when they think of beauty. And it can be hard for people to divorce that from just beauty in a wider, more artistic, aesthetic sense. So what do you think about that, the idea of beauty being hijacked, and how can people take back the idea of beauty? I think I love that idea of reclaiming beauty because I think that's also that's the story of society at the moment, but it's also God's story, you know, um, that God saw people and he said they were worth making even when he knew that they would fall and he knew that there would, there would be pain. Um, but... I think God's story of redemption is the story of, of reclaiming beauty, and um, we have a lot of opportunity to do that in our own lives, and um, I don't remember, I don't know who said this, but I remember reading the quote, if you see something beautiful and someone speak it, and I think that's one way that we can reclaim hope, or we can reclaim beauty, is by looking at the people around us, and when we see something um, in them that is worthy of um, recognition and honor, we can, um, we should call it out and connect to other people in that way and, and maybe um, challenge them in an encouraging way mm-hmm. about their own ideas of beauty. Yeah. Um, change what, what society is focusing on as being praiseworthy, you know, as mm-hmm. being worth investing in. Right. Um, and I, also just exposure therapy. <laughs> Just letting yourself make bad art, letting yourself do creative exercises in a way that is not even necessarily seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that's an important part as well. Mm-hmm. So being able to divorce the sense of pressure and the need to perform even from creating art. Yeah. Being able to make something and be able to say it probably isn't terribly good. Yeah. Like someone probably wouldn't pay for it, but that doesn't mean it's not good for me. Yeah. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have value and it doesn't mean that this isn't like a really therapeutic experience for me. Yeah. Agreed. So take the pressure out of beauty, please. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> please and thank you, everyone. Okay. So we're going to move in for the time we have left, which uh, this could cover uh, all kinds of things, and I'm excited to get into it. Uh, what would we have to say to listeners whenever people are thinking about how aesthetic beauty and art and art therapy, how does this play into the lives of maybe our listeners? Well, recently I had the opportunity to visit New Orleans for the first time. Nice. And I had a lot of special interactions with art the night that I visited New Orleans. So I want to share two of those thoughts, and um, I think one of them in particular is going to be really pertinent to you as an audience. So the first thing 
and these two things kind of stand stood in contrast I think is um, there were a lot of museums in New Orleans and there were a lot of street artists in New Orleans and the museums you see amazing paintings I have no idea how you would even begin to paint something like that but I remember standing there and looking at one in particular and seeing uh, that this painting was done one stroke at a time and I think we put a lot of a lot of pressure again on beauty and a lot of pressure in a similar way on our, our healing and um, healing really does happen one stroke at a time and not in ways that are um, hugely uh, successful when looked at externally but um, internally they are making a difference and they are painting a beautiful picture so I think for you guys that means um, that the little creative things that you do today and the little ways that you encourage true beauty around you today, they really do matter and they're painting a beautiful picture for yourself and for your society and your culture. And then the second thing is the street artists. I've had a lot of interesting conversations with street artists and they always are, they always seem to have really interesting stories and they're always really resilient people. And um, I started to wonder, you know, does art make people resilient or do resilient people make art? And I think, I think it's the first one <laughs> um, mm -hmm. that art makes people resilient. Is that the order I said them in? Yeah, that's the order. <laughs> <laughs> um, I definitely think that uh, art helps to cultivate resilience and that um, you can be any kind of person. You don't have to be resilient in order to make art. You don't have to be creative in order to make art. But just the act of sitting down to do something creative or setting out on the street to do something creative um, will grow you in, in metaphysical and awesome ways. Yeah. And um, I think the street artist's illustration is really good for our audience because you don't have to be, you don't have to have approval from anyone. You just get to go out and share your art and uh, engage with people who may or may not understand but it's still worthwhile even if they don't understand and you mm -hmm. may inspire some passerbys along the way. So. For those of you who don't um, study psychology an awful lot, which probably most of you, I'm not all of you are as nerdy as I am, but resilience is a huge thing in psychology right now because researchers are trying to figure out you know, what makes somebody resilient. Like resilience has been shown to be a huge factor that protects people against mental illness, that helps people bounce back from negative life situations, that helps people just in about every area of life. And researchers are asking the questions like, what does it mean to be resilient? How can we grow that in children? Can we encourage people to be more resilient? What are the traits that predict it? And I think the point you made about art can teach us to be resilient. It can teach us to take a loss. It can teach us to make something bad and feel okay about it. It can teach us to, um, it can get us through. It can be one of those things that gets us through a lot of negative situations. So that can be a real plus for all of you at home who are interested in expressing yourselves and making some kind of art to go out and do it because you're building something into yourself that can be really hard to get. And I also want to leave you all with some creative exercises that kind of go beyond the brush and into your daily lives. So there are three areas that I want to challenge you to practice creativity in this week or in the coming days. The first is to find a new way of walking. So we talked about those research at the beginning of the talk mm -hmm about walking in an urban environment versus a natural environment. But I think that finding a new way of walking can also be 
finding a pattern in your step or skimming the cracks on the sidewalk or counting how many trees you see along the way or finding just a new way of getting where you thought that you wanted to go. And I'm reminded of the Tolkien quote, not all who wander are lost. And I, I want to encourage you to wander. Yeah. And the second thing is to find a new way of recounting. And this can be an immediate thing to recount your day, but it can also be a bigger project. Um, and some ways that I like to do this are journaling. There are lots of journal prompts if you don't know where to start. Or pen palling, which can draw other people into this way of experiencing their world. Or you can draw a comic or something to illustrate your experiences and your interactions. Um, and there are also lots of creative apps that will let you do videography or to take interesting pictures. And I just, I want you to find an interesting way of perceiving your own reality and your, your own life and kind of getting that perspective too. I think that goes back to the narrative therapy that we talked about earlier and it helps you to see your own life as a story and helps you to see things in a sequence that could uh, easily pass you by if you don't stop to pay attention to it in an interesting way. And the last thing is to find a new way of receiving creativity. So this can mean laying down on the carpet and listening to an album play in order without multitasking. <laughs> or it can be asking someone who is creative but shy to share their art with you. Or it can be going to a museum and it can just be paying attention to the people around you, I think, as well, and, and learning to see that other people are beautiful stories, too. They are, they are stories alive and in front of you, and it's a great privilege just to pass them by on the sidewalk or to eat lunch with them. So I would encourage you to, to receive your neighbors um, as art awesome. as well. Awesome. So walk in such a way that you see the art around you. Go out, find a way that you can make something artistic make something beautiful, and uh, go out and find people who are making art and be a part of what they're making and designing. Um, I wanted to add something um, from my personal experience because I know how a lot of people think. Um, because of our tendency to uh, label ourselves, uh, to put different kinds of labels on ourselves, a lot of you in the audience have a long time ago labeled yourself as not artistic. I know because I put that label on myself. I'm not a particularly artistic person. I'm not a particularly creative person. Uh, my interests lie in academics. My interests lie in studies. My interests lie in research, which is great, but it tends to be a very different kind of person than the kind of person who will just go out and paint for fun. So I would like to encourage you, even if this isn't your kind of thing, even if you're listening to this podcast and you think, yeah, art's cool, but it's not my thing, I think it also has a balancing effect for people who like to spend time in the intellectual world or in the athletic world, it can be very balancing to do something creative. You can explore parts of yourself that are definitely there. Everybody has creative potential, just like everybody has athletic potential, just like everybody has academic potential. It's the ability to explore a different side of yourself and the insight you gain through creative work, the balance it will bring to you, the benefits you get from it aren't just for a certain kind of people, but they work for anyone. It's been helpful in my own life, even if, as I, if I don't focus on creative pursuits, they're still good for me. They still produce something in me that I wouldn't be able to get just by doing my thing. And I wanted to share one more quote from Vincent van Gogh with you. Nice. It's one of my favorites, because um, I think this applies to art in a way that really applies to um, my Monday, Tuesday, etc. 
He said, I am always doing what I cannot do yet in order to learn how to do it. So I love art, but I don't think I will ever be in a museum. I don't think I will ever be published anywhere, at least not for my paintings, maybe for some other <laughs> things. But um, I, I love that challenge to, uh, to do it anyways and to see and question what the value is despite the regulations and the expectations you have of yourself. Um, maybe wake up in the morning and, and uh, find a different way to, to challenge yourself and see that you are already more resilient than you believe yourself to be. And uh, you can make something beautiful in your day, um, even if it's not perfect. So. Absolutely. I think we're going to leave off with that. Becca, thank you so much for being on the show. You added a lot of really great stuff. It's my pleasure. Mm, absolutely. So uh, that's all for the Sitecast for this time. Uh, you can follow WJBC The Roar on Podbeam or Spotify. Go to our Facebook page and give us a like. And look forward to more episodes coming out in the future. Love you all, and bye. <laughs>